We've always said that we are better together because CE is one church with many experiences. And together we are advancing God's kingdom in different cities throughout our nation. And today is a historic day. I want to congratulate you because today we are launching a brand new church experience, Cape Coral, Florida campus. Come on, can we clap our hands and praise God for what he's doing? Come on, let's celebrate because lives are being changed, souls are gonna be saved, and families are going to be impacted through this new step forward. And you are part of that. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for the efforts that you are investing to help build God's kingdom through church experience. Well, I'm, I'm so excited about today's message as we get into this Like You teaching series final message today. And, and as we get into it, I gotta say, you know, John, our, our pastor in Cape Coral, it's a big day for him. And he's one of two pastors in our church family that's from the United Methodist Church background. Now, now John comes out of this background. It's one of the biggest denominations in our country, the United Methodist Church. And if you haven't seen the headlines, this entire denomination is currently dividing. There's, there's a rift right down the middle of this thing because a big part of the denomination wants to believe and hold to the teachings of the Bible that the act of homosexuality is a sin. And so ordained pastors should not obviously participate in homosexuality and churches should not support that and it's a sin and all that. And then, and then there's a whole other group within the denomination are saying, hey, we should allow it. Um, it's okay. It's not that big of a deal. Let's just not make an issue of it. And so because of that, this denomination is splitting. It's making news headlines. But not only is the United Methodist Church splitting over this issue, it's not the first one. There's been other groups, other denominations that have done the same thing. And it's not even just on a big scale. It happens even in a home. Perhaps you know a family that has been divided over this specific issue or other issues related to our sexuality. We're in this Like You teaching series about relationships, and there's very few things that impact relationships more, have more emotion, and divide people more than the issues around sexuality. There's, there's a lot of things that we have to navigate when it comes to our relationships with each other, but there's, there's hardly anything that brings more intimacy and brings more conflict, more challenges in relationships than talking about these sorts of issues. Now, how do we as Christians, how do we as people who believe in God's word and, and believe in his truth, how do we not betray our beliefs yet still act in a loving way towards those who might not believe what we believe? How do we communicate about these things with each other? How do we relate to each other around these things? And how do Christians at such a time as this, when, when media and government seem to be promoting things that the Bible has historically taught are sinful practices, they're, they're actively promoting them. How do we relate to other people? You know, we're in this relationship series. How do we relate to people in a loving way in a time like this? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we are going to begin in God's word today. And as you're powering your Bible on and opening up to 1 Corinthians 5, you know, I, I've heard this before. Some people say, well, why can't we just go back to how things were back in biblical times, right? When the New Testament church was just getting started, you know, 2,000 years ago, it just seems like this idyllic time. Like, why can't we just go back to the way things used to be? And I hear that, and I just want to say, like, have you not read your Bible? <laughs> like, are you reading the same Bible that I'm reading? Because it didn't seem so idyllic all the time back then. Right? As you're going to see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, as we begin reading God's word in verse 1, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and this is what he says. He says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. 
Now let me pause and say he's not writing to the community of Corinth. He's writing to the church in Corinth. He's saying among you in the church. He's saying there's sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans, those outside the church, do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? There's a lot going on here. This is, this is an intense passage, right? It's an interesting story because it's, it's not so good back then, right? We, we think things have changed in our lifetime in the last decade or two, and, and certainly things have changed in our country. What used to be seen as not okay is now seen as okay for a lot of people. And, you know, laws have changed, expectations, perceptions have changed, realities have changed. And because of, of all that, we tend to think, well, man, it used to be so great, and now it's, it's so crazy. And, like, you read this, and you're like, man, way back then, yeah, those kind of issues happening in the church, that's crazy, right? You know, and, and when you read about this, this, this man who's sleeping with his father's wife, and Paul is looking at him, and he's saying, hey, this is, this is clearly wrong. And you need to handle it. You need to deal with it. You tell him where he stands. Put him out of the church. I mean, it seems like when you first read it, you just kind of take a step back. It doesn't seem loving, right, because we're supposed to be loving we welcome everybody. We, we love on everybody, even if we don't agree with them. That's what Christians do. That's what Jesus did. Talking about living like Jesus in our relationships, Jesus was always loving on people. Now, he's the most loving person to ever walk this earth, but yet here we're, we're commanded to kind of put this guy who's, who's not living right out of the church. And you know, but then there's this implication that, you know, that if you tolerate sin, it's going to work its way through the whole thing. And you can kind of see that where we started today, that that can happen. That can happen. Groups can be divided over issues like this. So some believe and some don't, and things are allowed and things are agreed to, and there can be all kinds of division that can come out of this. And so he takes it seriously. And I want to move down to verse 9 in this passage, and then let's talk about it a little bit more. Verse 9, he says, I, I wrote to you in my, my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people in this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. And I think he says this with a little bit of sarcasm and humor, right? I'm not saying that you shouldn't relate to people who are sexually immoral at all, like out in the world, because that's, that's like a lot of people. <laughs> He's like, you wouldn't be able to hang out with anybody. You wouldn't, be able to, you wouldn't be able to go anywhere if you would never go into a business establishment that believed differently than you. <laughs> so he says, verse 11, but, but now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. <laughs> man, we're into the deep end of the pool today, aren't we? I mean, we're talking about relationships, but man, this is, this is where it gets real. This is where it gets real, because in our relationships with each other, how do we relate as Christians, and then how do we relate to people outside the church? It seems like Paul is presenting this, there's two different ways that you deal with this conversation. You know, we, we talk about things that the Bible considers sexual immorality, and we're going to get into that and define some of these things and talk about them as we get into this message. But, but he says, hey, you know, those who are outside the church don't expect people who are not Christians to act like Christians. 
right? But those who claim to be Christians, you need to call out what the expectations are. And I know because we are, are loving towards each other, we want to live like Jesus in our relationship, so we want to be loving. So in our attempt to be loving, right, we sometimes don't say the things that need to be said. Sometimes we're not clear, and I've titled today's message, Let's Be Clear. Because I think it's really important that we're clear on the things that God is clear on, the things that the Bible's clear on. And what is sin? You know, sin is missing the mark. It's, it's seeing God's standard and then in our rebellion, whether purposefully or unintentionally, we, we go a different direction. We, we just miss it. We miss what God expects. We miss God's standard. And we go a completely different direction. And here, you know, in this passage, Paul is saying the person who claims to be a, a Christian, that claims to be a believer, yet they're not living like a believer, you, you need to confront that. Not, not just tolerate that. You need, you need to address it. You, know, you need to speak to it. And I, I think we misapply some of the other teachings of the Scripture about how, you know, hey, don't judge or you'll be judged. You know, we've all fallen sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, which is true. Um, you know, don't try to remove the, the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye when you have a plank in your own eye. And so these things that are all true, we, we misapply them in this situation. And we think, well, look, I'm not going to, judge another Christian. I'm not going to point out their flaws or their sin. I'm not going to call things sin that are sin because, look, I got my own sin, and we shouldn't judge each other, and we all have failures. We're, we, all, we all fall short, so, so we don't say anything. But in our attempt to be loving, we're actually being very unloving. One of the most loving things that we can do is to speak truth when we know that a lie will actually destroy someone who's claiming to be a Christian, not only in this life, but it can have eternal consequences. And Paul says, hey, hand, hand him over to Satan. And you read that that we just read. You're like, are you serious? Like, that's crazy. Like, hand him over to Satan. What do you mean by that? And he's saying, hey, put him out of the church so they know where they stand. Right? In Revelation, it's like, hey, it, be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm because if you're lukewarm, then you think you're okay. But he's like, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And, and I don't want to do that. So, so be hot or cold. And if you're cold, good, because then you know you're not hot. Right? You, you, if you're out, you know you're not in. And if you're out and you see you're out and out of the fear of God and out of the fear of knowing you will be held accountable, maybe you'll turn and repent, turn to God and, and receive grace and forgiveness. And so that's what he's saying here. He's saying it's, it's more loving to speak the truth and to be clear about what is sin and what is wrong. So that's kind of part of the conversation we're having today. And it, and it, and it brings up a good question that I would love for you to grapple with this week in your relationships with other believers. Perhaps it's your children right? Perhaps it's other Christians that you associate with and you're in community with. But here's the question. Am I clear about sin with those I care about? Am I clear about sin with those I care about? Look, our world is crystal clear right now about what they believe. Crystal clear. With all the LGBTQ conversations and all the stuff that, that we're seeing, it's all around. I mean, this, there's no doubt where the world stands. They're aggressively promoting it. What they believe is right. The educational system, when it comes to sex education, is very clear on what they're teaching your children. It's in print. They got the curriculum. Like, here's what's right. Here's what's wrong. Here's what's okay. But the reality is that many Christians are not being clear enough with those they care about, about what God says is right and what's wrong in these issues. You know, in relationships with people that we do love and care about, family and friends, and man, we, like we talked about on the outset, man, this, this hurts because it can divide families, these kinds of things. And maybe, maybe you're dealing with that right now. Maybe there's some division in your family over these topics. How, how can we be loving and live like Jesus in this situation? How can we care about someone even if we disagree? I mean, we're going to disagree about stuff, right? That's going to happen. But how can we be loving like Jesus, not betray our beliefs, 
that have been around for a really long time. Like, like God instituted these things. His truth has always been there. But times seem to be changing. Culture is changing. How can we not betray what we have always believed, yet still be loving to others? Because we care about them. And God cares about them. You know, this, this is really hard when, it, when you get into close networks of friend, uh, friendships. It might be someone you worked with for a long time or someone that you really care about, maybe attend church with, or maybe they're in your extended family and they believe differently on some of these, these touchy issues relationally and especially in the area of sexuality. And it can be, it can be tough because sometimes people identify uh, these issues with who they are, their identity. This is just who I am. It's not just my lifestyle, it's, it's who I am as a person. And so what you're saying, you're saying this is a sin, what you're, then what are you calling, what does that mean to me? What are the implications? What are you calling me? Recently in Daytona Beach, Florida, around 9.30 p.m. at night, there was a guy who heard a noise outside on his front porch. He thought someone was there maybe looking for his son, and so he opens the door and steps out on the front porch, at which point an alligator who had been hanging out on his front porch lunged forward and bit him in his thigh. <laughs> bit him in his thigh, and he got loose, and he was okay, and he called for medical help, and he was rushed away, and this alligator was apprehended and euthanized, and the man made it. He's, he's all right. Close call. He's all right. But it feels like this in these kind of conversations where we love people, but we don't agree with or love what they're doing, right? We, this is a phrase you've heard in, in Christian circles maybe many times, like I have, love the sinner, hate the sin. You know, we're trying to love the person, but not loving so much what they're doing. It can feel like this, like you're opening the door and you don't know in this conversation if you're going to get bit, right? If, if something's going to lurch forward at you and you know, tear into you because of what you've said, right? They're going to disagree with you. They're not going to believe you. They're not going to like you whatever it is. And, and there can be all kinds of fear present, fear of losing the relationship, fear of creating division, fear of losing your standing in your family or your job or your reputation or your income. There can be a lot, a lot at risk when you open that door to these kinds of conversations. But what Paul is telling us here, among those who are believers, those who we care about, to not have the conversation is actually more unloving. Right? Think about how Jesus lived in relationships. Did he avoid hard conversations? Did he avoid conversations where he knew that it would cost him something? Man, they ran him out of town. They tried to put him to death. Eventually, they did put him to death because of what he taught, right, because of who he was. I mean, Jesus did not shy away from having difficult conversations, yet he was the most loving person to ever walk the planet. And he seemed more focused on the mission and why he was here and presenting truth than making everybody happy. I think sometimes Christians can swing the pendulum, though, the other side. And a lot of times we're, we're, we don't speak up about what we should believe. But then I think another time we swing the other side of things and we're abrasive and we hurt people and we say things that are unnecessarily offensive or we say it in a harsh way, right? And we do these sorts of things. And I don't think necessarily always on purpose, but some people, they just, they're just how they say it and how they communicate. It causes unnecessary hurt and pain and conflict where there could be understanding and maybe not always agreement, but at least understanding. And, and, and so don't use truth as an excuse to run people over and hurt people with your beliefs. I mean, it's, it, among the church, among those who claim to believe, then we should be clear. And Paul meant no words. He's like, put them out of the church, hand them over to Satan. <laughs> I mean, it's like, when you read this, you're like, are you kidding me? This is in the Bible. Yeah, he, he, was, he was being real clear about it. Like someone who's claiming to believe and they're, they're living a sinful lifestyle that's going to have eternal consequences. You need to let them know where they stand. But he's like, I don't practice that way among those who don't believe. I don't expect them to believe the same thing that I do. I wish that they would. I wish they would come to know the hope I have in Jesus. But they're going to make different choices. God's given every one of us the ability to choose our beliefs 
and to choose our choices, we're just not in control of the consequences. And there are eternal consequences for what we choose to believe and not believe. And the Bible says one day we will stand, in fact, kneel before God and give an account for what we chose to believe. And more importantly, if we chose to reject God. And so here, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he's saying, among you, you need to be clear about what is sin. So that question again, am I clear with those I care about? And even though we have excuses at times because of our fears, the thing is we don't want to come across as unloving and be perceived that way. Here's a very important point I'd love for you to write down today. Present fear doesn't excuse my lack of courage to speak truth. Just because there's fear present in the room, it doesn't excuse my lack of courage to speak truth to another believer, to someone in your family, to someone you really care about. We're still held accountable. We're held accountable for our actions and our omissions. Right? When we omit to do what God has commanded us to do, we're held accountable to those things. But we're not always responsible for the consequences because we can't control all the consequences what you fear could happen. It could cause the relationship to go a different direction. Might change things in your family. Might make things weird, but, but we are responsible for speaking the truth in love, loving people like Jesus in our relationships. That's what this Like You series is all about, loving people like Jesus, even in these controversial, difficult kinds of conversations we're talking about today. But look, Paul is saying, it's not my job to judge somebody who's outside the church. My job for somebody outside the church is not to modify their behavior but to introduce them to someone who can transform their very nature, who they are, and transform them and give them a new hope, a new life, to experience Jesus. My job is to make an introduction to Jesus because Jesus is the good news, right? I mean, that, that's the good news, Jesus. But, but here's the thing. Before you can get to the good news, you, you have to be able to talk about the bad news because I don't need saving if I don't know that I'm sinking. So in our conversations with people who are, who are outside the faith, we have to present it very carefully, strategically, tactfully, and with sensitivity, with listening and understanding and all that. But if we never talk about sin, if we never teach what God says is sin, then why do you need a Savior? If you don't know you're sinking, if you don't know you're headed for an eternity, then the Bible paints as a very dark picture without Jesus, an eternity of pain and punishment and separation from God, the God that you have rejected your whole life will not force you to spend eternity with him in heaven. And there, there's real consequences. And so because we love people enough to speak the truth, if we do it in grace and we do it in love, we're still responsible to speak truth. Ephesians chapter 5, if you will. Let's look at another passage related to this conversation. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. Why is it a big deal that I speak up about truth? In this, this area, Ephesians 5, verse 5. Why does it matter? Well, here it is. It says, for of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For we were once in darkness. We've all sinned, right? We've all fallen short. He says, we were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. Be, be clear about what is sin. Expose it. Move from the darkness to the light. Come into the light. Because in the light, you can see right. You can see straight. In the darkness, you don't see things right. And it says here, look, the truth is, is that no person who's living like this, and you 
gives this very detailed specifics. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, for of this you can be sure. But the thing that we, we tend to do is we try to minimize sin and we try to bring ourselves up, like make ourselves feel better. We elevate ourselves. We minimize the expectations, God's standards. We try to bring them down. We can't actually move that, but, but in our minds we try to. And with each other, we justify, we rationalize, we compromise, we excuse ourselves. Why? Because we don't want to feel guilty. And it might be that you love somebody else so bad, you kind of minimize things. You don't make a big deal of it because you don't want them to feel bad. But it's actually in that uncomfortable place of conviction that we're actually changed. Right? Jesus said, I didn't, I didn't come to condemn you. He didn't come to bring condemnation, but he came to bring conviction because conviction leads to confession of sin, which leads to transformation in Jesus. And if we're always trying to make everybody feel good and minimizing sin, saying it's not a big deal, then we're gonna miss the good news. And the good news comes out of the fact that there's some bad news. And right here it says that hey, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're rejecting God and living a sinful lifestyle and rejecting him, then, then there's gonna be consequences. You'll be accountable. So if we're living like Jesus, we need to speak truth even if it's uncomfortable for people to hear. Uh, I was trimming some trees around our church property this last week. We had a mission strip in town. Dozens of students came out of state and they're here and doing some things. And so we were working and I had a few days in a row where I, I just, I love trimming trees. And so I was out uh, cutting these tree branches. And uh, so I had my safety goggles on and yet because I was doing it for so long, I'd still get some sawdust in my eyes. And I would, I would go over to Jen. I'd be like, babe, I, I got something in my eye. I can't get it out. Can you just see it? She would look in there and, and usually we could get it out or I would just go to bed at night and it was just a small nuisance and I'd wake up in the morning and the sleep would be there and I'd, I'd get it out of my eye and it'd be fine. But on the third day, I had a little bit of, of sawdust in my eye that I just couldn't get out. And so we did the whole thing. I went to sleep, woke up the next day and it was worse. I mean, I, I, I couldn't really see straight. I mean, my eyes were watering and I was like, man, I, I've got to get some help. And she looked, she couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. We couldn't get it out. So I went to the urgent care. I went to the urgent care and they swabbed my eye. They turned my, my eyelid up and they, they put some drops in there. They turned their lights out and put a blue light on. They did everything and they, they finally found something. They're like, yeah, there is something in there. They, they got it out. They just had this little speck in your eye and you have a little cut on your eye. They said, it will heal. And if you do these different things, it'll be fine. But we did find something in your eye. And it was just this little microscopic speck of something that got in my eye, but it was causing a massive problem. I couldn't see out of that eye. I was blurred vision because of that little speck. When we allow a little bit of compromise into our life when it comes to sin, when we say, that's not a big deal, I'm going to tolerate that sin. It's a small sin. It's a little sin. It's not a big deal. That little sin has big consequences. It grows. It's like a cancer that metastasizes. It grows and builds and destroys. And we say it's not. It's a small thing. But actually, from the scope of heaven, from the lens of heaven, it's a big deal. Because right? heaven sees sin differently than we do. There's certain things that we say, well, that's not a big deal, but heaven sees it very differently. Because in heaven, there is no sin. This is God's presence fills the atmosphere. And there's no sin. So when you, when you have sin, sin, it, it's shocking to heaven. Right? Through the lens of heaven, it's shocking because it's this, this rebellion against this all-good, all-powerful creator. It's kind of this combination of how could you, knowing that there's this all-powerful God that says that's wrong, how could you rebel against this all-powerful authority? And then this combination with how could you with also why would you? This God that's all-loving and only wants the best for you, only wants good for you, and his ways are the right ways and the best ways. How could you and why would you? And so our sin is shocking to heaven. 
But it's not so shocking to us sometimes. Why? Because we are all around it all the time. We're exposed to it. And we have all drank from the river of sin that flows through humanity. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so because of that, for us, it's like, well, maybe it's not that big of a deal sometimes. And we can try to push things in the corner and hide things. And it's not that big of a deal. And out of our zeal to love others and come across as loving towards others, sometimes we can actually do things to hurt them by not speaking truth in love at the right time, in the right context, to the right group, in the right, right way. We sometimes, in our attempt to be loving, can actually be unloving to them because sin is horrible in God's eyes and we will be accountable for it. People uh, in general, although we try to minimize sin, God is always bringing to light sin in scripture, describing it, defining it, making it crystal clear what it is. And when it comes to sexuality, he makes his standard abundantly clear. He says, sex is a gift to humanity. I mean, we're in this Like You series about relationships. Talk about intimacy and relationship. I mean, God made this and he's like, I want you to enjoy sex. It's a gift. It's in a relationship. But just so you know, I have parameters around that. What's okay and what's not okay by his standard. Look, this is not my opinion. It's not your opinion. It's it's what, what God says is right in his word. And what did he say? He said, it's to be enjoyed. It's a gift. To produce connection, to serve each other, to love each other, to produce godly offspring. It's a gift, but it's only to be enjoyed in a marriage relationship between one man and one woman. You know, it tells us in scripture, you know, for this reason, a man will leave his parents and his mother and father and be joined together with his wife and the two will become one. Think about the idea of two becoming one. It's a beautiful thing. In fact, it tells us in scripture that two are better than one. They can defend themselves. You know, if one lies down, how can he keep warm? But two can keep warm together. They can, they can defend each other. They can help each other. And Ecclesiastes has this beautiful and poetic description of how we are actually better together. And in a relationship and in intimacy and in sexual intimacy, this idea of like, wow, you're better together. is coming together. You're actually becoming one spiritually united. And so because God is so passionate about it, he created marriage. It wasn't defined and created by a government. It was created by God and defined by him. And he says it's a man and a woman coming together companions for life. And in that context, it's a beautiful thing, much like a fire, right? A fire to fire pit, man, our family, we love doing s'mores, right? We'll get around a fire pit and we'll make some s'mores together. And a fire is a beautiful thing. You can keep warm by it. There's so many good things. It can provide light in a dark night. But man, if that fire jumps out of the pit, it can burn your house down. And sexuality is the same way. It's a gift from God and he's gonna let you use it how you want, right? But you're gonna be accountable for what it does. And what it does is it destroys when it's taken out of the context that God created it for. The all-wise, all-powerful God has said clearly in his word, this is what it's for. And this is the context that I deem okay to use it in. When you take it outside of the boundaries, that's called sin. It's missing the mark of God's standard. Why is this such a, a big deal to God? Because he knows that small compromises, small rebellions lead to massive distance between us and him. Big walls being constructed between us and God. Look, I, I told you earlier, I, I like to uh, trim trees. One of the things I've learned over time in trimming trees is that if you trim a tree, if you take that pole saw and you, you put it right next to the trunk of the tree limb you're trying to cut off, and, and, you, and you trim that thing real tight to the trunk, what's going to happen over time, over the months, that, that mark that you made on the tree when you cut the branch, it will heal over. The tree will, will heal over. You might see a little bump there, but it's going heal and it's going to look real nice. But if in your haste, you cut that thing, you just lop it off like four inches, six inches away from the trunk, what's gonna happen? You're gonna come back a year later, you're gonna come back two years later, and you're gonna look and you're gonna see about a dozen different little new branches forming out of the one branch you tried to cut off. 
And if you didn't want a branch there, that's going to be an even bigger problem down the road because now you got a whole bunch of other branches growing. It's the way God made the tree to, to reproduce and recreate after, you know, it has a loss and to, to fill in what's missing. Right? And, and, and this small compromise we, we make and we say, well, that's not a big deal in this area. I mean, everybody's doing it. It's okay now. It's not a thing. Look, and when, we, when we give in to sin and we surrender to sin, it will destroy us. The Bible says sin leads to death. A physical death death of a relationship, death of a business, ultimately eternal death, right? Separation from God. It separates us from the one who loves us and puts distance between us and him. Not distance that he would ever choose, but distance that we choose as we choose to move in the opposite direction. And, and so, so here it is. Here's the lesson. God hates sin because he loves me. I hope you'll let that settle into your soul today. The reason why God hates sin in our relationships is because he loves us. He wants us to have great relationships. He wants us to experience relationships like Jesus. That's why we did this Like You Teaching series, so we can learn to live like Jesus and love others like him. But here's the thing. God hates sin in our relationships because he loves us so much. He loves us so much. Well, sexual sin specifically seems to get people stuck deep. And it's a hard one, man, because it's, it is relational. And, and it, it is connected to our relationships. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I, I want to look again at Corinthians for another passage here that I think will be helpful. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. God's word says, flee from sexual immorality. He says, hey, let me help you out. Just run from it. <laughs> Anything that looks like sexual immorality in your life, like run from it. And don't let it exist. Don't let a little compromise be there. And run from it. It says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It says, hey, honor God with your, your body, with your sexuality. Honor him because you are not your own. Well, I don't feel like doing this. I want to do this. This is my preference. This is why I choose. Look. It's not about any of those things. It's about honoring God. What does he say? It's reframing my life. It's, it's a whole new operating system in how I live. It's God, what pleases you, not what pleases me. And a lot of sexual pain comes out of the desire to please self. What's in it for me? But when you reframe your life, God, what pleases you, not what pleases me. But God, what puts a smile on your face? It changes how you approach things even in an area like this. But if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. You can get burned, and it can burn others. And so when we're talking about living like Jesus in our relationships, we don't want to burn other people. We don't want to hurt other people. So what does it look like to live like Jesus in our relationships? Well, it depends on what you're talking about, right? Because there's, there's so many different aspects to this conversation. We don't have time to talk about them all, but let me just speak to a few different things and a few different people. That, like maybe, maybe there's a young person here in this message or a single person, and, and maybe you still have your virginity, and, and you've, you've never slept with anybody. This conversation is kind of creeping you out because you're like, this is not a category I've ever even really been in on before. Let me tell you something that my student pastor told me when I was a young man. He said, hey, save your virginity for, for marriage. Let that be a gift that you give to your future wife. Pray for her, prepare for her, and, and, and save this gift for her. That you only can give this gift one time. So, so save that and give that to her, that gift of your virginity. And, and by God's grace, both my wife Jennifer and myself were able to give that gift to each other when we got married. And we loved each other. We dated for three years. And we wanted to give that gift to each other beforehand, but we waited. And by God's grace... And through the wisdom of his word, we waited in these 20 plus years of marriage. Man, that, that time seemed like so long to wait back then. 
But I'm telling you right now, it's not even something we ever think about, right? We've had over 20 years to enjoy our marriage relationship, which has been enriched immensely because we did not go outside of God's boundaries in that, in that aspect of our life. And so I'm so thankful for what God gave us in that instruction when we were young to wait. And I'm gonna give that instruction to you if that's in the season of life you're in. If you have found yourself in a season of life where you are stumbling and struggling in this area, maybe in, in a relationship, God's grace is sufficient for you. He will forgive you. Who of us does not have sin? And in this area, I found that very few of anyone does not have sin in the area of sexuality in some way, shape, or form. So whatever that is for you, God's grace is sufficient. And God, God loves us. He, he cares about us. But he tells us to flee from sexual immorality. So what kind of sexual immorality is involved in your relationships? We want relationships to honor Jesus. So is there any sexual immorality? Maybe it's a boyfriend, girlfriend sleeping together. Look, like God says that that is for marriage. So we want to repent from that and run from that. Perhaps it's pornography, which has plagued our country and our world. The stats are staggering. But what we know for certain has been proven is that viewing pornography on a regular basis changes how you view people. It changes how you relate to others. And it changes how you experience intimacy in real life. It has a negative impact on your life. And it changes how you see and view others. And it always leads to worse, right? It, it's this, it is a slippery slope that, that leads down to more and more curiosity into more and more immorality. Prostitution or paying for any form of sexual pleasure uses people and leaves them broken inside. Hebrews chapter 13, verse four says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. God, I gotta say, hey, look, adultery destroys relationships. So if you find yourself today flirting with the idea of stepping outside your marriage, it's gonna destroy your home, it's gonna destroy your family and will leave you with lifelong regrets. I, I've heard it said that we should not treat any form of sexual immorality casually or else we could become the next casualty. Are you treating things that God treats seriously casually in your relationships? Here's the final point. Sexual sin is bad because it destroys good relationships. That's what we've been trying to get at. You know, sexual sin is bad in our relationships because it destroys good relationships. And we want to have relationships like Jesus had. Good relationships, relationships that are life-giving, relationships that are blessed by God. But look, we have all experienced failure. We've all experienced sin. We know what it looks like to need saving. And Jesus provided that solution when he came 2,000 years ago and he died on the cross. He was tempted in every way that you were. And he knows what it's like to be tempted, but he said no and he withstood sin. And because he was a sinless savior, he's the only one that could die for your sins and for mine. Man, I, I, I love you and, and I would love to be able to die for your sins, but I can't because I have my own sins. And you might love the person sitting next to you, but you can't die for their sins because you have your own sins. Like we will all experience the wrath of God for our sins left without the grace of God. We would all have to pay the penalty for our sins, but God loved you so much. He gave his son that came and lived a sinless life and he died for all who would look to him as a sinless payment for all of our sins. He took on the wrath of God. God allowed his own son to experience the wrath, his wrath for our sin. And when you place your faith in him and receive him, this good news, coming out of the bad news that we have all sinned. When you accept the good news, you can be forgiven of your sins and made right in a relationship with God. Because we're all sinners and we need a savior. And, and the last verse I wanna share with you today is from Romans chapter one, verse 16. And it's this good news we've been talking about. It's, it's, it's called the gospel. And here it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. 
this is the good news for us today. So don't carry the weight of sin anymore. Don't, don't carry the weight of sin into your relationships. Live like Jesus in this relationship. Let go of the sin, the sin that so easily entangles and run towards Jesus. When I was in my 20s, I went hiking with a friend of mine named Paul up this mountain called Cloud Peak in Wyoming. It's in the Bighorn Mountains. It's a massive 11,000 foot mountain. And uh, we hiked, we went through the night, through snow. It was an incredible journey. It took a lot from us, all the strength that we had. And while we were on this hike, my friend Paul told me that he had gotten rid of every bit of weight that he could possibly get rid of in his backpack and on his clothing. He goes, I even went to the extent of cutting the tags off my clothes. I'm like, are you kidding me, man, why? And he goes, because multiplied over this long journey that we're taking, I don't wanna carry any weight that I don't have to. I don't wanna carry any weight that I don't have to. And I don't want you to carry any weight into your relationships that you don't have to, any weight of sin, any anything that could ruin your marriage, impact your kids in a bad way, hurt your relationships, let go of that sin, put it aside, run from it. The Bible says flee from sexual immorality. If there's anything in your life that you are tolerating and saying is okay, or maybe an area that in others' lives, in your, in your family, someone who's a believer that's close to you, you're not calling it out, and, and they're saying, hey, I'm a believer, but they're okay with it, look, don't let any of that unnecessary weight plague your attempt to run your race towards Jesus. God's grace is sufficient. He will forgive us when we repent from our sins and turn to him for grace and forgiveness. It's always available, but we have to make the decision to trust him and that his ways are right. Right on, right on. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for showing us what it looks like to live in relationship. Thanks for teaching us how to be loving to others. God, we know sometimes in our attempt to be loving, we can be a little bit misguided and we cannot speak truth that can actually bring healing to someone. And God, may we not be found guilty of that, of, of omitting to tell someone the truth. May we have boldness and courage and not live in fear of how it can hurt the relationship or what could happen, but instead be willing to speak up for what we know is right and what you say in your word is right. But God, may we do it with grace. May we do it with love and out of heart of love. And God, at the same time in our own life, may we assess if there's anything in our relationships and how we're living before you. And even in this difficult relationship area of our sexuality, if there's anything that's not pleasing to you, God, may we turn from it and turn to you so that we can please you and live for you in everything, in every way. We love you, Jesus, so much. And we thank you for your grace in our life. And before we wrap up this prayer, if God has brought any conviction into your life today and you know there's areas in your life you have not asked for forgiveness for, right now is the best time to reach out to him and ask for his forgiveness and ask for his grace. And God, we do. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your love. And right now you can say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I receive you into my life. I want to follow you. I want to live from you. I turn from sin and I turn to you, Jesus. And I want to live for you. It's in your name I pray, amen.